The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org. Good evening for another edition of Black Teachers Matter here on WBCA LP 102.9 FM in Boston, Boston's community radio station, another episode of Black Teachers Matter. I'm your host and producer, Sharon Eaton Hinton. And here we're here with part two, I promised you, with um, a good, good friend of mine, historian. Um, he's just on a whole different level when it comes to learning about people and our people in particular. Joel McCall is the founding, he's the founder, lead instructor um, of the Reidrin Business Group, which is a Roxbury-based independent education company. Their mission is to help Black folks think better of, of themselves, ourselves, through knowledge of our roots, universal political fluency, quality work skills, and work starts with finding family roots of genealogy and classes, mobile black history museum now called black connections i'm waiting to see what the rap looks like because he's so creative and um the history of black boston new england tours they also deliver quality work skills education to everyone teaching consulting areas include technology life skills work preparation and helping our organizations and businesses operate better operate simpler and operate truer and this true brother is in the studios with me is none other than brother King Joe McCall. How you doing, brother? Well, Queen. I wish I had a lot, uh, you know, like a an applause track, Yay, you know, <laughs> and we could do that. I sound, am so sound the alarm. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people may say that, um, considering the fact that you are talking about, you know, finding our roots and where we're from and how we got there and why we're here and where we're going and and uh, the purpose and so. Little short periods of time that we have here on this planet, I think if we um, don't do something with it, I th I'm trying to think, and you would probably remember this more than me, that um, service is the rent that we pay while we're here on Earth. Mm. I think it was Muhammad Ali, mm. or it may have been. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna have to look that up because it's good enough for me to remember it, so I should remember <laughs> it correctly, right? And you also do um, what's called an encobia. You have got an well. Some people will be able to see pieces of it behind you. But they won't be able to see it in detail. There are three posters behind you, and we're going to talk about that during the show. There's one with Phyllis Wheatley, Peters, Phyllis Wheatley, Peters. Um, there's also one that is the, what do you call it, Turian, a Turian Civil Rights yep, Timeline? Yeah, for Kwame Ture. Right, and then you have the Ancobia 6. Uh, is the Ancobia 6 or is the Ancobia um, map? What do yeah, you the Ancobia is from the Twi language. It was West African Akan people. And um, instead of making a poster with all these faces of people from our story, our history, um, like she rose and heroes, I said, let me put an African name on it. And I made this maybe 16, 17 years ago. And I said, Ancobia is a great word in this language. And it means those who lead the battle in commitment and courage. 
And so I said, yeah, let me call it Ancobia. And I also put the name Ancobia 6 on my six-step basic genealogy program for black folks. So um, I use the name for both. And then you have charter van tours and walking heritage tours that take you on a journey through the rich and often overlooked history of black Boston's black community from the early days of Massachusetts Bay Colony, Malcolm, Martin, Melania, uh, and you, then you provide a one-of-a-kind, and it's one-of-a-kind because you're a one-of-a-kind, insightful discussions and hi- histories of what shaped and keeps Afro-Boston today. Last time you and I talked, which was the program before this, um, and so I had to have you back, part two, and I don't usually get to do back-to-back like this, but I'm so happy that we're doing part two, and we're live here at WBCALP 102.9 FM in Boston. And so you may hear us live here, or you may hear a re-podcast or re-radio broadcast. Um, but at any rate, uh, I love the fact that we're doing this in January because when you go into the, the stores and, um, you know, around Thanksgiving, they're starting to market Christmas. Around Christmas, they're starting to market, um, you know, Valentine's Day. And so we're here in January and we're going to market Black History Day. Right. For those of us who are Black 365 days a year, <laughs> Let's do this and not just relegate yeah, well, it to February, yeah. right? <laughs> so um, last time we were talking about losing um, historical people, mm-hmm. historic um, uh, sites mm-hmm. in Boston in particular, but all, actually all, all across the country, either through governmental policies that drive highways right through black communities mm-hmm. or through developers they basically take down in Boston, I think it was last year or the year before, a developer came into Roxbury and there was a an iconic um, mural about Nelson Mandela and they mm-hmm. took that down. And then if you go through Boston, there's one particular artist, uh, pro-black, mm-hmm. who's got these beautiful, beautiful murals, but they're on the sides of buildings. Some of them, um, well, one is on in the backside of Madison Park. And so that school, as long as that school is going to be there, we didn't expect that to not be there. But then there are murals. Um, there's one that he didn't do that's on the corner of, um, it's on the side of the building on the Walgreens, but Walgreens is leaving. Mm-hmm. It's on the, on, on the corner of Warren Street and Townsend Street. And it has, uh, it's almost like Egyptian hieroglyphics. And Nile, I remember Nile that. Valley, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember that one being there. Um, and that was the first site of the first black bank uh, the Unity Bank, which most people don't know. And so mm. they look at these murals. And then there's the other one that has the big pyramid that Greg, what was his last name? Greg? Oh, yeah, it's Gary Rickson. In Gary Rickson. Uh, I'm saying Greg. Yeah, Sorry, Gary. Yes. Gary Rickson. And so that was done twice because I remember when it first went up and then it started chipping or getting dull or something. Oh. And then that one went up again. But it was it was actually the same um the same basic mural. I don't, you know, once the colors get more vibrant or something, it seems a little weirder. But yeah. so in and out Beautiful. of Boston, you have these um, murals and then you have these buildings that may or may not be designated. So one of the buildings that's on Dale Street was the building that Ella Collins, who's the sister, was mm. the sister of Malcolm X. Um, that seems to be taken forever to be renovated. <laughs> and then you have, um, I'm trying to think if it was you and I that were talking about that all the buildings in Boston that have not been designated or were not designated um, historic site, but it absolutely was historic. Like the NAACP building Mm. was on Mass Avenue. The Harriet Tubman house was there through community action. Now it's not. Um, It's condo or apartment buildings. The, um, some of the school buildings, Boston business school, 
um, is no longer there. It's a church. And then there's, um, we talked about the church buildings, that some of them were actually part of the um, the actual underground railroad, correct? Yes, yes, a radical tradition um, in the congregations that were, um, you know, by and large started in the West End and moved into the South End and then found their way up at Roxbury too, um, different parts of Dorchester. So yeah, there's a there's a deep history on that, and I'm collecting, curating all the archives on um, the evolution of the black uh, churches in Boston and try to get some black churches actually to come out on tours and and uh, collab with uh, folks to, to to look into that and uncover some of that, um, that development. Um, now you said part of your mission, Reidrin's mission, Reidrin Business Group, helps black folks think better of ourselves through knowledge of our roots Universal political fluency and quality work skills. Talk about this universal political fluency. Sure. Um, there is theory and there is uh, values and, and the philosophy underlying everything that uh, I do intentionally. The The name Reidrin Business Group, uh, where it comes from is, uh, I love the patois and what the Jamaican folks do with the queens in the king's language, when they say um, in a gentle community, social-minded, together to, together unity way, um, we or us or brethren or sistren, they say I and I. And so they tweaked it, and so they say Idrin. So you say you and I are going to the store, they say Idrin, go to the store. So I put the prefix re in front of it, to say, to allude to, back again, redo, remake, re Um, And I invented that in 2003. So this is our 21st year, actually, in business. And at the time that I designed re I really haven't changed the mission statement. The idea is to help black folks think better of ourselves. And I really got the idea from John Henry Clark, um, who really woke me up in the 90s, when Windows 95 and the internet came along, I had access to a whole bunch of new things. Um, also, BNN, believe it or not, had a big role in my my awakening, um, you know, to my my uh, philosophical life. Wait, wait, um, wait, wait! Don't roll over that one, huh? <laughs> this is the first time I heard that, huh? No, this is this is really interesting. Well, it's it's, it's just talk, but. Um, I moved to Boston in 93 and I worked for a decade in a corporate bank. One decade in a cubicle until I could no longer do it. And then I decided to create Reagent Business Group in 2003. When I moved to Boston, I wasn't actually a part of the community. I wasn't engaged. I wasn't involved in active ways that I am today. I wasn't a public historian. I wasn't a teacher. Um, in a, a community-minded way. Um, and what my connection was, was two things. The Hour of Power by the nation on Sundays, and then BNN TV, and I lived in the the Ashmont Village area. And um, <laughs> it's funny, I, I went down to the, I used to go down to the Adams library, Boston Public Library, and take out all these books and videos and 
you can rent DVDs and all of this stuff. But on BNN, I would watch these fantastic, creative, beautiful, productive celebrities. And I might have seen you, Sharon. I hope and, so. <laughs> um, no, for example, I would see Sister Nina Lanegra. Yep. Um, She's still around. Baba Rumas. Yep. Uh, the brother who did the Tai Chi. Brother, her, her um, I forget his name, but a number of these people, uh, Sister Fulani Haynes doing her things. And these people would soon become my friends in the next decade. As soon as I engaged and became a part of the community, um, these all these people that I've been looking up to from afar for about a decade until um, I started my own um, independent black education company, Reagent. Um, this this was a big part of my my development um, here in Boston. And so, long story short, the the mission statement that I wrote tried to incorporate the three things that I thought were vital for Black folks um, in any kind of movements that we're doing in our community here and nationally and abroad. The first is um, when I left the corporate world, I went on a pilgrimage to find my own ancestors, my own relatives, my own genealogy. And deep, deep research of this took me in different parts to um, Maryland, Northern Virginia, West Virginia, and uh, North Carolina as well for about a month. And I came back with a program because I was just so um, amazed at all the things that were available. Um, this is 2003, so the internet was was coming up and you're starting to get more and more records are digitized and censuses and all of that. So I said, let me make Ancobia 6, this genealogy program. Mm. basic 101 genealogy. Let me bring it to the community. I started going to libraries, community centers, all over the place. Um, the roots as the foundation so that no one can knock you off your square. Mm. You got to understand your own family history. It's very, very important. All angles, bitter and sweet. So I said, that's one pillar of what reagent has to be when I was formulizing this mission statement and how I'm going to make this. The second piece that I realized, I call it universal political fluency um, or universal political exposures. And what that cat, that category entailed was when I came back, I went to a number of antique stores and museum stores. I went to the Great Blacks and Wax in Baltimore and I bought an Obama and um, Michelle doll um, and you know, some different trinkets and uh, Jackie Robinson doll, a Harriet Tubman doll. Um, I made a number of pyramids out of clay and I made a, a 30 foot scroll, which it's really interesting thinking about being a public teacher, mm. not, not one who's a classroom, but I was starting to say, let me just bring these artifacts and have conversations with people at Juneteenth festival at, um, you know, the, Franklin Park festivals mm -hmm. at um, Kwanzaa events, different things. And this is before Juneteenth was a, you know, celebrated a holiday thing. and all of this. And <laughs> Kwanzaa was, was more recognized and everything. Um, what I would do is just lay out two six foot tables full of artifacts from the green Sahara, even if it was little giraffe dolls, scrolls, um, pictures showing a shadoof, which is like the, the bucket of water that you pull out of the Nile river and you get up to, you have a machine that levers it up, levers it up, levers it up. I just construct stuff and kind of, you know, uh, on the ADHD high spectrum of focus, I just build a whole bunch of crap 
and I'd put it in a suitcase and roll it out and bring it to lots of different places. I even brought it to South Bay Prison for a three day, uh, three class uh, thing with the brothers. Oh wow! And it was fascinating because they had to inspect all the stuff before I brought it in. Right. One of the guards. This is maybe twenty years ago. One of the guards said he looked at this um this poster I had and it said um caution slave catchers you know from the fugitive slave act yeah. when they had the slave catchers the black in the and north. White. Mm-hmm. he he looked at it and he looked at me and he looked at it and he's trying to determine this is a regular guard I is don't... he a slave catcher <laughs> he, <laughs> he told me he said well this is just all in the past isn't it and I said oh yes yes it is boss it's all in the past and anyways they they had a good program person at the time and um I went in and taught the brothers and they were out of, out of sight. They were probably one of the best classes I ever had with the questions and forming a good question. They really wanted to understand where I was coming from and what I was talking about. But I was, we went to the cosmos. We went with the five percenters in the, in the, in the nation, all these brothers, but they were genuinely curious. And I get the same thing with very young folks. The funny thing is, is when I go to colleges and, and do presentations, I usually get like quiet and mm. not a lot of questions and looking back. Even um, now, I mean, when you go to colleges, is it, has yeah. it changed? Because it, you've been doing this for a while now. Yeah. I mean, I engage people on a whole bunch of different levels. And sometimes I don't have all the time that I need because it needs time to do, mm. you know, you giving me a good 60 minutes here. We know that's not enough time, but a lot of people are looking for sound bites and quick things and, mm. and you know, they're solutionarians. I know my history, but this and that. And that's the person that I'm saying, I got to sit down with you for a little while. We got to talk it out and unpack a lot of the stuff. But um, what what the the physical table full of things allowed me to do was get very intimate with people. I, I bought from an antique store a cotton scale scale, which is mm. like four feet long, very heavy. I brought it to either Springfield or Worcester one year and I had it on a table and some brother came up and said, I know that. I'm from Texas. Mm. We used to do blah, blah, blah. And he's talking about the cotton fields and stuff. And he was an elder. And very quickly, you know, we're having a conversation about things that they know about, things that I might know about. And um, so that's what I called universal political fluency. It's a way for us to read between the lines of what, you know, textbooks told us, what our parents might have told us that was confused or whatever. It's an ability to read between the lines of the camouflage that, you know, your by and large mainstream teachers taught you all the wrong things about who you are and who your people are from and before slavery and after slavery and the beauty of our courage in resisting and the humanity um, that is a legacy of our Africanisms um, for us who have, you know, been in in the belly of the ship and, and, and so forth. So... Um, that was the second pillar of my company, Reidrin. After the genealogy, and they, they circle and feedback on each other, but the idea was that when you have that strong seek even, you don't have to have all the answers, but if you have that strong design in you to understand your own personal family history and its ties to larger things like the Great Migration, World War II, Civil War, before the Civil War, the plantation and the local geography of where your people came from in Bermuda, in Tennessee, in um, Louisiana, in Maryland, Prince George, Maryland, where my last name, McCall, came from an enslaver who enslaved eight um, Africans. 
And there's other McCalls who are not related to me, but they have the McCall name as well. Mm. Um, understanding all of that first, then broadening your understanding of black history. So the tours and the Black History Museum that I bring around to different places, I categorize that under universal political fluency. And it's kind of just being able to see through the camouflage of the surface knowledge and being able to see things from the side. The last piece is building your family, community, and um, nation. So that's quality work skills. So in a lot of ways, when Windows 95 and, you know, internet and Googling and then all this AI stuff that's coming up, I teach a lot of classes that help people, you know, find jobs, build businesses, um, do things that have to do with adulting skills, life skills. And so as you have your knowledge of yourself and no one can knock you off your block about that. And then you can read between the lines of what the society is saying. Then it's a good position for you to go and build quality work skills to do what you want to do, whether it's, you know, build something up for your family, build your own um, business that, that can make you work at a somewhat independent level. Um, And from there you build up institutions and things that go generation to generation. So, those three pillars is the whole idea of what Reagent has been. And, um, and if you're just tuned in, you're listening to WBCALP 102.9 FM in Boston, Boston's community radio station. And this is part two of uh, Reagent Group's interview here on Black Teachers Matter. My name is Sharon Eaton Hinton. I'm your producer and host. And you are listening to Brother Joel McCall, King Joel. He is laying it down. I mean, I you know, That's we great. talked about this. A um, couple of days ago, actually, at my house when you were dropping off the posters and you and I talked, we talked for about three hours. So, I mean, seriously, when you left, I was like, you know, I knew we were going to talk, but we could talk a dog off a meat wagon. But um, the other thing, the reason why uh, you and I were talking about part two was we basically sort of dusted off the importance of um, you talked about our history, but what happens when we lose it? either because we were never taught it and we didn't have it or because it was um, misprogrammed, uh, eliminated, erased, like the posters and the uh, landmarks and everything we talked about, or distorted, like the you know the fight against um, teaching American history, which includes people of color, especially of you know uh, black people of the diaspora. And then what happens when people buy into the... Um, their own internalized racism. Mm-hmm. So so when they're actually, and I think about that in so many different ways, right? Because we have, at one point there was blackface. And so there were white people that had burnt cork and, and imitating what they thought was us mm-hmm. or what they wanted people to see as black people. Mm-hmm. But then now you have people that are doing that, that are wearing a face. And Franz Fanon talked about white masks and black masks. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wear the mask and, there's plenty of poets that have talked about that. But um, you look now and there are our people participating in these negative stereotypes that are tearing us down. I remember growing up and um, there, was a, there was a way that you carried yourself in public, whether you went to church or work clothes or school clothes. They were just so, and you, you literally you had different clothes, clothes that you went to school with, clothes you went to church with, clothes that you went to work with. Um, and so because it was, it was um, dangerous if you looked a certain way and even in these different generations, you know, wearing a hoodie, cause it was the whole thing with the woody, the hoodie and the Skittles. And 
Um, and then recently there's been the documentary about uh, the Stewart case and how, um, and then, the, you know, I'm thinking about all the different iterations of what we've gone through with the pants hanging down. And so any brother that has pants hanging down, the assumption was he went to prison. And that might have been the case. But then it became like a, a, a trend, a classing trend. I actually saw somebody a couple of days ago and it's cold outside. I was like, what is up with you? Like, why is that a trend? You know, like the hula hoop came in and came out. Right. But this seems to be hanging around. So what is that? So what does it do? Um when you lose that sense of yourself or you don't have that sense of yourself or it gets distorted? Mm. Well, you know, the first thing that came to my mind as you were saying these things, I said, did our grandparents' parents think the same thing about the zoot suit? Of course. Of course. <laughs> Every generation has an iteration of that. Like, well, I would yeah, never dress they, like that and you with your pants hanging. Yeah, don't. They, with the chain hanging. Yeah. So as I get older. No, but I, that was yeah. political, too. If you think about what happened on the West Coast with the Chicanos that were wearing the, the Chicanos, zoot suits. Yeah. That was a whole history that a lot of people don't know. Yeah. Um, even this, there's some Latino, Latino people that don't know because they're not Mexican. So they wouldn't necessarily know the politicization of, you know, clothes. I mean, black people, we had to have legislation, the Crown Act, in terms of how we can wear our natural hair. So that's still ongoing yeah. for us, right? It's interesting. The 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 anti black legislation is a is a is an interesting thing. Um you know, I the 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 Chicanos, the black and brown folks had major rifts. I think from the, in California, that thing with with the local World War II vet uh, white veterans, it was something that was behind right. all of that those, mm-hmm. those riots, if I'm not mistaken. But um, yeah, you know, uh, it's. I, I mean, look at people now. I, I, I'm embarrassed by the fact that people come from outside the country and through customs and stuff like that, and through the media. They're programmed to think all African Americans, you know, that same stereotype that white folks have been trying to put on us with the watermelon, yeah. even though watermelon was easily grown and it was a way for black people to make money. So to to to, <laughs> to eliminate or diminish the competition, you know, the news media and white supremacy came up with this stereotype about black folks with the big lips and the watermelon and, and um, basically made it negative so that black folks stopped buying watermelon when it was really a lucrative business to be in. Yeah. You know, um, I'm writing a book, of course, about my experience teaching history, black history in Boston. And one of the big, you know how at the beginning of a chapter you have like a quote from something or something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'm going to reference this, but one of my favoritest um, screenshotted Twitter reads that I had was it was a New York Times headline. It had some, you know, white folks from Appalachia on a porch. They didn't look, you know, they looked very impoverished. And um, the title said, um, white uh, populations reversing their stance on Obamacare. Mm. Um, And the subtitle was, yeah, I don't know why we were against Obamacare. Um, Everybody needs health insurance. And Mm -hmm. the response, the tweet, the tweet or response to that was that some black chicken, she said, she said, um, yeah, you all love, you all hate black people more than you love your own life. Ooh. 
And I said that she's getting to the bottom of something about the structural injunction against the sanctuary of even black dreams. Frederick, uh, Frederick, um, Frank Wilderson III says, has a statement that says there's a structural injunction against the dream of black sanctuary. What black, Can I say that one again? Yeah. There's a structural injunction against the dream of black sanctuary. So what this person is saying is that at the base, white beings, being white, is a ma- is a function of how much anti-blackness you can you can perform, and so these folks, you know, th- th- just think, step back a second and think about minstrel minstrelly, uh, the Jim Crow stuff with the cork and all of that. Mm-hmm. That is a white person mocking a newly freed black person under centuries of oppression, his ability to be a functioning, fully functioning white citizen Mm. in a white republic, right? So this is something we really need to unpack and and stay with for a second. That's what we really try to do with our our lessons um, is to have people really unpack what we run by too quickly. Now, the amazing thing that I love, you know, Twitter and all of this is that the younger generation, they seem to be, at a, move at a much higher rate. They can process a lot more data. And so I worry that they can't unpack things, that they don't read books and that this and that and this and that. But the wonderful thing is, is somehow they're quoting James Baldwin, who mm. unpacks things in a, an incredibly articulate way. So when these young people got James Baldwin t-shirts on and they got um, Stokely Carmichael stuff, and of course they got Malcolm, uh, you know, little feeds and clips from his things, um, it just lets me know we're going to be okay. You know, um, I'm just rambling, but the, the, it's, it's, it's something. So I, I was looking up while I was listening to you, I was looking up, um, Rance Fanon and some of his, his quotes, mm. um, the oppressed will always believe the worst about themselves mm. <laughs> in the world through which I travel. I'm endlessly creating myself. Oh, my body make of me always a man who questions. To speak a language is to take on a world, a culture. That's deep, right? <laughs> yes. You know, the oppressed uh, will always believe the worst about themselves. Yes. What did you say about the question? I will. I he's saying I always will want to be the one who is a questioner. Mm. Is that what? It, so, um, my to speak da- a language is to take on a world, a culture. In the world through which I travel, I am endlessly creating myself. Oh, my body, make of me always a man who questions. Yes. So on my, just in the last couple of years, I never had this domain, but I have a domain called joelmccall.com. And I put my photography and my my um, posters on it, you know, just as a play around. It's not a real, real place. <laughs> but I put a quote that I saw someone said came from Waset, which is Luxor, um, which is Middle Egypt, middle of the Nile River Valley. And it was written in a temple that said, um, do not look for the world in, um, it, it's similar in that in traveling, you don't look for yourself in the world, look for the world in you, mm. right? And that idea of questioning, um, my daughter, when I would drop her off at elementary school every day, I would tell her, the last thing I would say, I love you. And I say, go ask a good question. Mm. Because 
and she just she graduated from high school and she said that as the class president at her speech at the, the O'Brien a couple years ago her graduation speech um and it stuck and it, it always amazes me but there is no bad questions for me as a teacher as a black teacher teaching the things and the content that I do um until you get an answer no question is a bad question but it is for us to start asking good questions. And always question. Always question. And don't don't stand on that. Stand on the question until you get something good. And we need we as elders, as parents, as teachers, the black teachers matter. And you yeah. we need to be we need to have something good for our people. I got another good quote for you from Marcus mm. Garvey. Mm. One of these is my favorite one. That's the first one I'm gonna say. <laughs> and it, it struck me, right? He's just so radical. He says, I have no desire take all black people back to Africa. There are blacks who are no good here and will likewise be no good there. I love that. that that's one of my favorite ones. But here's another one. If you have no confidence in self, you are twice defeated in the race of life. Liberate the minds of men and ultimately you will liberate the bodies of men. And so, you know, for those of us who are George Clinton fans, free your mind and, and the rest will follow, right? <laughs> it's deep. And, and so you have these generations of... um. Well, you have these generations of truisms mm. that they were true back then. They're true today. Some of them are made up and they just sound convenient, like um, uh, God helps those who help themselves. That's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. I look for it. It's <laughs> not in there. And if you could help yourself, you would need God. But the one about um, if you have no confidence in self, you are twice defeated in the race of life. That, liberate the minds of men, mm. and ultimately you will liberate the bodies of men. Twice defeated. That needs to be a www.com. Right. <laughs> twice defeated, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's understanding at a very high level. And you know what I integrated into some of my um, uh, young adult and adulting skills classes is the Dogon people of West Africa have a four piece um, system of learning mm. and African intellectual systems in all its variety and, and some of its universality um, is Africanisms that we um, as African Americans continue, for example, in jazz improvisation and mimicry and, and the evolution and building and creativity, imagination we use and all the different things we do. Um, but the Dogon system, um, they have four pieces. Um, one is, um, I'm going to get them all backwards, but one is basically Boloso, Giriso, um, Beneso, and Sodai. So these four concepts basically in the, in the Dogon language mean the first level of understanding something is a surface level. It's a plain thing that you get on the surface. So that's something you watch the news and that's the level of understanding you'll get. Mm -hmm. The next one is seeing something from the side perspective, right? So that you're looking at it, at this subject matter, but you're starting to have questions and probing and thinking about it from a different angle than just the head-on frontal view. The next one is seeing things from the rear view, right? So you started to... Um, develop your own ideas about the thing that you're looking at because you've had experience with it now. And then the last thing, so dai, is a clear understanding. And that's when you're a master. That's the Miles Davis level of, of right. understanding something that you're doing. That's right. the James Baldwin level of writing. That's the Amos Wilson level of 
of uh, business organizing. Um, you know, um, what's the brother's name? Kwanzaa uh, um, in, in, in Jufu. Oh, um, Dr. Yen. Uh, yeah. The, and Dr. Clark and Dr. Ben, um, that level of teaching, you know, being a black teacher. They are master black teachers. So, so Dai is a clear, clear view. You're not looking head on at the surface left, simple surface level, the side view or the rear penetrating view. You're looking at a, its clear understanding. It's the word. And so, um, so Dai, Boloso, Beneso, and, um, um, uh, Boloso, I, I forget the the four words, but um, it's profound learning systems that we've already been through and forgotten in the Nile River Valley, Congo Basin, South Africa, um, with the Khoisan Click people all over Africa, and these are things that we have not accessed, nor have we accessed the lessons of the people in the belly of the slavers. But you know what, though, I was mm. just thinking about that, um, because I'm old enough to remember this. <laughs> I remember if you Back then, because we've gone through so many names of what we called ourselves and what other people called us. Mm. If we, um, so you you went through the the nigra, right? <laughs> and then that other, you know, and then colored, and then Negro, mm. then Afro, Afro-American, then African-American, and then Black. But I remember back around near the Negro stage, right before, in between colored and Negro, if you called somebody Black, those were fighting words. If you called somebody <laughs> African, those were fighting words. Um, if you just tuned in, you are listening to WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston, Boston's community radio station. We are here on um, episode two of uh, Reidrin Group with Prince King. I can't demote you. You're, you're a king. What can I say? You're a king. Oh, uh, Joel McCall. Man. And uh, we're going to take a quick short break so we can recalibrate. And get back to the Boston connection, because don't think there's no black people up in here. We're everywhere. Not so much in the cold places, but we're everywhere. <laughs> and it is cold out, but this is a hot channel. WBCALP 102.9 FM. I'm your host, Sharon Hinton, Sharon Eaton Hinton. This is Black Teachers Matter. And uh, we'll be right back after this. dedication my biggest fear in the middle of my addiction was that my kids wouldn't have a father and i started thinking you know what this isn't my story i definitely had to become a better man to be a better father it's important to me that my kids are empowered and truly believe that if if they can think it they can do it that's dedication visit fatherhood.gov to hear more brought to you by the u.s department of health and human services and the ad council And we're back here on WBCALP 102.9 FM in Boston, Boston's community radio station. This is Black Teachers Matter radio podcast. On Boston's community radio station, I'm your host, Sharon Eaton Hinton, the producer of Black Teachers Matter and host here with 
one of my favorite, favorite, favorite people, historians and teachers, Joel McCall. Before we get back to episode two of um, Rehydrant Group and talking about all he's doing, I have a famous quote. For those of you who have not seen Color Purple, I almost was purpled out, but I did go to the movie. It is very different. I read the book. I saw the Steven Spielberg. I went to Broadway when actually Fantasia was on Broadway. And then I went to the play. So I am encouraging you to support it because we need the money to be able to show that it is um, viable. If we don't put the money into it, you know, we're in a capitalist society. You don't spend your money on it. Then you support the narrative of black folks can't get other black folks to spend money. We don't just need, you know, black people to support it. But so Alice Walker is the reason why I went to the color purple. She wrote color purple and she has a famous quote that says no person is your friend who demands your silence or denies your right to grow. Hear me. No person is your friend who demands your silence or denies your right to grow. Woo! Brother Joe, I'm bringing you back now. I, um, you know, Toni Morrison, who's another great author, she has a, well, it says the Cincinnati Inquiry, Inquirer reported in 1981 that in her speech to the Ohio Arts Council, Morrison, Toni Morrison, uttered what is now one of her most famous quotes, quote, if you find a book you really want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. And so I'm bringing it back to you because you said you're writing a book, right? Yes, yes. I've been writing this book for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's really interesting because with, you know, ChatGPT and the AI and all of this, I think it's a very powerful time for black teachers mm. because especially ones who are kind of introverted and they're kind of collect a lot of stuff and like to write down ideas. You don't have to be good writers or anything like that, but through access their ideas and have always written stuff down. I have over 30 years of poems, of picture files, of history folders, Brother. tons and tons and tons of stuff. And the way that AI is able to just pull tons of things together Hmm. Pretty soon we're going to download a Microsoft Word or a Windows Explorer or what is it called? Af Apple Safari's Finder. Um, that wait, wait, wait. Apple Safari. What is that? You, you know, when you go onto your computer, and I'm not talking about your phone. I don't right? have an Apple, though, but go no, ahead. No, no. Whether you have Apple or you have Windows, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't matter. When you go to your C drive mm -hmm. and you want to find, uh, I did a flyer for a community thing I did up in um, Codman Square in 2002 mm -hmm. that was a, uh, let's say, a public poetry about Harriet Tubman and Phyllis Wheatley Peters. And I really liked the way that I, I did something. Like I recorded it, so there's a recording of it. There's a flyer that I gave to the librarian to promote mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. All of these files, whether it's audio, video, or text, or whatever it is, AI in the next four or five years, you're going to have a little box that looks like the Google box, right? Mm -hmm. Built right into your hard drive. And it can pull all of the information from everything. So if I say all the times I spoke about Harriet Tubman, 
my last 30 years of files. It, and then I can, I can quickly say, give me bullet point list of what I talked about, what are the most salient things, think out of the box, give me uh, 30 hashtags so I can promote my next thing about it. Um, anyways, I think this is a very exciting time, and I think it's a time I can kick myself in the pants and, and get this done. I've, I've had the name for maybe six, seven years. Um, it's going to be called Afro Boston versus the Violent Three. Okay, no, wait, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. Get back to that because we, we started off talking about Boston. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, I mean, how many, it seems to me that everyone that was really, not everyone, but most people, I, I remember in my lifetime, we talked about H. Rab Brown and Huey P. I don't remember Huey P. Newton being here, but I have relatives on the West Coast. But definitely H. Rab Brown was like at Boston Technical and Malcolm. I've heard Malcolm speak, Martin Luther King speak. Um, I met Colin Powell here, and he went to school here. Um, there's a lot of people that have touched through Boston, and um, and there are still some people that are alive. Everyone who is um, influential is a friend of mine who has a banner uh, for about a mile on Blue Hill Avenue. Black women lead, and it's over 211 oh yeah. women Wonderful. that are up there, and he's working on yeah. the next 200 that he's going to put up there. And so how many people have actually come through Boston that we should know other than we always talk about Malcolm and Martin, but who else? Everybody. Uh-huh. Um, one, one, when you, I forget who you're just talking about, uh, either Marcus or somebody, but. Um, Frederick Douglass, I know came through here because he was going through everywhere. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Frederick Douglass. Um, well, the, the quick thing, David Walker, when he wrote Appeal to the Colored Citizens of the World in 1829, we need to start with him because the subtext of my manuscript is, is going to be, uh, it's called Afro-Boston versus the Violent Three, what teaching black history in David Walker City has taught me, mm. right? Now, um, a friend of mine, uh, Brother Dika and I, we used to go and pour a libation down where he was murdered on uh, Cambridge Street, where MGH is now. That was his first wait, wait, house. Wait, 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 Most people don't know that. And they also don't know, and you told me this, I think it was Saturday, hmm. that his wife had to fight to hold on to her house after he was murdered, right? Yes, yes. A lot of uh, pre- precariousness in black life in the early um, 1800s on Beacon Hill. Um, some 60, six, two-thirds of black folks was confined to that little borough on the on the north slope of um, Beacon Hill in the West End. If you're at the West End Library and you're looking up the hill, you'll see where Mariah Stewart, um, the first black woman, uh, the first woman actually to speak politically, publicly, um, of any race, um, she was a, a black defender along with David Walker. And there, where they lived, the, the apartment that they lived is on Joy Street. It's right up the street from the, or down the street from the, Amer- the African meeting house. And the state house. And the state house, right over the, the other side. Um, at any rate, um, you know, me and my brother, Dika, we were saying, um, hey, we need to start calling this um, David Walker City. Because, you know, the kids in Baltimore are like, we don't call it Baltimore, we call it Tubman City. Mm. In Philadelphia, I think the, the youth in hip-hop at least in the 2000s or 2010s, they used to say, this is Banneker City. Mm, Benjamin so, Banneker, right. Exactly. So I was, we were like, hey, we need to call this David Walker City to differentiate, you know, Boston from Boston Strong or Boston being Boston when it was, when it's doing its 
thing. You know, it's anti-black thing. Um, but at any rate, um, David Walker, when he wrote that book, it alluded to something you said earlier about Marcus Garvey. Um, I'm not trying to be white. Mm -hmm. Marcus Garvey is repeating something that Mariah Stewart and David Walker's repeated, and they're repeating something that their teachers taught them. Um, all of this is so much in the same vein. A lot of the, the um, Clarence X and, and um, the early nation, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, a lot of that incredible social theory that has lifted up so many generations of black folks comes from um, Martin Delaney, comes from um, Edward Wilmot Blyden, um, David Walker. All of this stuff is a wonderful genealogy, and all of these people had place and time and um, care and concern and pause and being still right in these Boston streets. Um, you mentioned Frederick Douglass. I'm really looking more into doing a North Shore um tour that involves what Phyllis Wheatley Peters and John Peters struggles were out in an area near Danvers and the um, slaver and shipping industry in Salem and Marblehead. I want to incorporate that. And I also want to include um, uh, Frederick Douglass's run-ins with the railroad lines. He sat in the wrong section on a train in, I believe, the 1840s, 1850s, right before the Civil War, and he fought with a conductor who was trying to kick him out. This is exactly 90 years before uh, Rosa Parks. Mm. Same battle. And, uh, and a black woman did it down in New Orleans, too. A hundred years, you know, the same time Frederick Douglass did. So um, these examples of bravery and these examples of I give up care, mm. <laughs> you know, by our black people who, who were engaged in not only black community formation and holding us up, but actually risking a lot mm -hmm. and, and doing the things that needed done just to keep us, you know, at the water level, you know? You know, I, I knew this was going to happen. And, and actually that break was only 30 seconds, if you can believe it. We have five minutes left, which is crazy, right? Part two, yeah, time, five minutes left. Warped. So I got to work you into my regular, my regular giddy up, man. I'm telling you. Um, so there's another story and another quote, rather, by Maya Angelou. Uh, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. Mm. And you've got some stories. I've got some stories. I told you about the book that I'm writing about my dad. Mm. It's actually morphed into something else. And, and um, it's traumatic, right? Mm. When I think all my grandparents uh, were Southerners. And so when I wanted to learn the stories, they got silent or anything. I mean, they it was like being re-traumatized all over. So how do you handle in the next three minutes and also give us information about Rehydrin and how we can get in contact with you? How do you handle digging up these old bones and these skeletons? Like, how do you process that? Because that trauma is in our DNA. Mm. Well, in, in a quick soundbite in the time that we have, um, I deal with this a lot in our genealogy classes, especially with our, our um, black elders. When we tr go to interview them or they're a part of the class and they're thinking about the, the trauma associated with a lot with the South, a lot with our early childhood, um, I always try to put it in the context of, look, if you're feeling that trauma, ain't nothing going to stop it from passing on to your grandchildren mm. and your children. So the bitter and the sweet it's necessary for us to empower them and give them better decision-making context. 
right? The power that they have to make the decisions that they're going to have to face with or without our stories, without, with or without our examples. When we go off the road and, or we get taken off the road, or when we have a good success and we, we're on the right path, on the good path, all of this is so to improve the life conditions and the, ch- the chances and opportunity of those of us who are to come. And, and normally folks can, can take that in. And that's an African, that's an Africanism as well. So the first, the last couple of minutes that we have, um, how can someone, if they want to get in contact with you and get more information, how do they do that? Joel at Reidren. That's R E I D R E N. Idrin with the R-E in front of it, reidrin.com. I got all my contact info at the domain, and um, I'm not teaching. I'm not caught up in research or something. My time is yours. And then you have these walking tours. Well, it's got a cold outside now, but you still have the van. You still have the van. Absolutely. Is the van still available now? If, yes. if you have a school teacher who wants to book a tour, I mean, Black uh, History Month, you should be booked. Like, there should be I, no I am. I'm getting a lot of um, lectures and illustrated talks for April and March as well, so... I am um, honored again. I give thanks, Queen. I uh, you know, uh, King Joel, I'm, I'm telling you, man, I grow and I am on a mission to to really be around people that grow. I, I'll give you one more um, quote by James Baldwin. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Mm-hmm. And so I thank you that you have been here with me um, this afternoon, this evening, and whatever time people are listening to this, and um, basically being able to face this history with us here on WBCA LP 102.9 FM in Boston, Boston's community radio station, we are Black Teachers Matter. And this is part two of an episode that we had with Joel McCall, the founding brain, the intellect behind Reidrin Group. You've got the information You can download this on your favorite podcast and tune in next time here. I'm your host, Sharon Eaton Hinton. This is Black Teachers Matter here on WBCA LP 102.9 FM in Boston. We are Boston's community radio station. This is Black Teachers Matter. the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org.